0: This recording has got nothing to do with me. I'm going back to editing. Go on, then. See ya. I can't just leave you, can I? Well, if you want to be
1: useful, see if you can get some more downloads. What's wrong with people? Can't you get them to download the
0: podcast? I don't know. We keep asking. Something to do with a flooded marketplace. Something to do with a flooded marketplace? Well, I don't know.
2: Exactly. I'll give up on you, Richard. Now, Giles. Look at Giles. Giles is asking the right sort of question. No, thank you. Why are they downloading other podcasts?
0: One minute you're worried about our podcast, the next it's all the other podcasts. Well, never underestimate the competition. Competing is very important. Podcast scan complete. Well, who are they? They are nothing. Huh?
2: What does that mean?
0: They are... Nothing. Well, you, you mean they don't show up in iTunes? They have no identification.
2: But everyone's registered. We have a directory for the entire podverse. They are nothing. What? They don't exist. Not anywhere. They are nothing. Well, we all know what happens to non entities. They get promoted. Stick them on the featured podcast page. <laughs> Here we go. iTunes, Podcast Directory, Ratings and Site Layout.
0: This is ridiculous. You've got access to the iTunes core. You can look at the whole history of films and TV in their archive and and you're looking at podcasts. Uh, But there's something wrong. I suppose. Why? What is it? The podcast rating system is working flat out, channeling massive amounts of bot traffic. All the way from the dark web. The dark web? Yeah, something out there
2: is generating vast amounts of spurious ratings.
1: Hmm. Well, I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm missing out on a party. It's all dependent on iTunes. Can't we get
2: featured? You can't. You need an invitation. With a key. Oh, keys are just codes, and I've got the codes right here. Here we go. Override 215.9. How come it's given you the code? Suddenly, someone up in iTunes likes us.
0: Hello, and welcome to Something Who Podcast, episode 27. Back again after just a fortnight this time, it's another episode in our classic format where we compare a story from the original series with one from the new. And today it's all about making our way to the top as we bring you our thoughts on the seventh Doctor story, Paradise Towers, followed by the ninth Doctor tale, The Long Game. And here to talk about these two stories are two friends of mine who are no strangers to life at the top. It's Paul. (laughs) Um, yeah, hi. am Giles. Build high for happiness.
2: (laughs) It sounded like an amazing compliment, I just have no idea what you meant.
0: So before we kick off, I'd just like to mention the Sirens of Audio podcast, who invited me on a recent episode to discuss 8th Doctor Big Finish Audio Neverland. So thanks for that, Dwayne. And I think it's high time you had Paul on the show, as he's our resident Big Finish author. Oh, okay. Let's see. Uh, Also, last week we heard that Phantom had been dealt a financial blow by their wholesalers. And, uh, I mean, the, the three of us have all attended Phantom events. And they also produce a good range of audios and books, so I'd like to recommend to our listeners that they go and buy something from them to keep uh, their business going. Yeah. Yes, I'll second that. Great bunch of lads. Anyway, let's start our episode with Paradise Towers, which was written by Stephen Wyatt, directed by Nicholas Mallet. It's the second story of season 24 and the first one that Andrew Cartmel had an input to. Indeed. Who wants to kick us off? Oh. Awkward
3: <laughs> silence. I'm,
0: I'm, I'm, I'm holding the silence to see what happens. <laughs> okay, I'll
1: go. I remember being quite embarrassed by this at the time. Um, <laughs> because I think I, I kind of built up the idea that, okay, there was going to be four four episodes of Time in the Rani to get through. And then hmm. the, new, the new thing was going to be upon us. And then the first episode was... Well, I didn't mind the storytelling style in some ways. I think things like the um, the Kangs and so on will immediately have me metaphorically wanted to, you know, crawl behind the sofa and um, and cringe a little bit in that self-conscious teenage way that one has mm. um, before one gets used to the idea that it's a kid's show and the silliness is all part of it. But coming back, obviously, it's, it's not one I've kept a distance from in the past, but coming back, I, yeah, I liked it, I, mean, I tend to like it more, on each viewing, I think, mm-hmm. I can appreciate more, of what they were, what they were going for, and be a bit more forgiving, of, yeah, some of the failures, I, th- I think, mm-hmm. as a first, first stab at, Cartmell era Doctor Who, it's, um, it shows, yeah, quite a bit of, yeah,
2: of, what's the promise, of what's to come. That's not a million miles away, from the way I, I feel, yeah, it's a shame we haven't got a young person on here who can watch this. I mean, you yeah, it wouldn't have to be any younger than we were uh, when we saw it, but the point was not just that we might have been teenagers who took the programme a bit more seriously than perhaps we should have done, because maybe all teenagers do that, but we didn't have a precedent for this, did we? We, mm. we thought, oh, it was so wonderful for all those... All those preceding generations, and now what's happened to it? What's happened to the magic of Doctor Who, we said, for the first time ever? Nobody had ever said that <laughs> before. <else. laughs> but, yeah. but now, these modern fans come to it with with a much wider... Is, this all exists. This is all part of the fabric of Doctor Who. These This wide... It's even wider tonally hmm. than it was back then, so they don't have to worry about being embarrassed by it. They can enjoy it and think, oh, that's, that's what this... Era was like, is it? That's good. That's mm. great. And I gather they're very well adjusted and happy people as a result. <laughs> no, um, I, I was, I was the same. I, um, on the other hand, a lot of my feelings haven't changed that much. And, in a sense, I don't need to feel embarrassed about it because I did make the effort to watch the documentary. And of course, the people involved in production didn't think it was an unqualified success.
3: Mm.
2: And so, a lot of the things that I. I wasn't sure about it then, but I'm still not 30 years later. The, um, you know, the writer and the script editor felt the same. So I think what has changed for me is an, an, appreci- an appreciation of the script is a lot better written than I realized. Hmm. Would I speak for all of us in thinking that at the time we th- might have thought this was a script that had more potential in it than was realized on screen? yeah I think I that's an obvious thing to say about it but uh, I mean I actually now look at the script and think this is terrific particularly hmm. the first episode I thought it was very tightly written hmm. and set out it saw very well the first 25 minutes and then wasn't quite as tight either as <laughs> the structure of the plotting or the, or the dialogue wasn't quite as good in the other three and I w- wasn't surprised to see Stephen White explain that A. he was making it up as he went along and B. he wrote the second three episodes very very quickly hmm. that um, seemed pretty obvious But I could see through all that, and I I enjoyed this type of Doctor Who. I mean, it's got some things in common with one of my favourite eras, season 17. Um, I don't know if I've ever mentioned that before. (laughs) But but also has has something new new to it, doesn't it? It's not just comic. Might be a more comic book. Yeah, well, I was going to say that, but you see, that's what everyone said about it at the time. But I didn't. Re- I wasn't familiar enough with comic books to know yeah. what they meant. Mm-hmm. I suppose the stylized nature of it. Yes. It is. Free. I think in season seventeen, it's just very funny at times. But it's just a layer of humour, of wit in the dialogue mostly, it's mm-hmm. layered on top of quite traditional plots. Whereas what's happening in this era is Andrew Cartmel en- is encouraging his writers to look at his favourite comic books, and whether they do or not, he's encouraging them to. F- He's somehow getting their minds into that mindset. Mm. I mean, this wasn't specifically inspired by comic books. It was inspired by J.G. Ballard. Highways, yes. And mm. possibly also Brazil, mm. which uh, Andrew mm. Cartman seems to realise as, mm. as it's put to him in the, in the middle of the DVD documentary.
1: It mm. must have a bit of 2008 in there, though, surely. Mm.
2: They draw, I mean, the very fact that they're drawing from J.G. Ballard rather than... I mean, Doctor is always drawn from all sorts of places, but it's not often drawn from... Great literature, mm-hmm. or in, or cult literature, is often drawn from sci-fi basics and and Hammer horror films and much more obvious sources. And it's not often stepped wide far enough away from the low-hanging fruit mm. of similar g- genres. So that's that's one thing I like about it. Th- and um, I suppose it is that stylization that divided people, maybe still divides people. Not all the characters are easy to identify with. Some of them are so stylized. And the same thing is true in *Greater Show in the Galaxy.
3: Mm. Mm.
2: It's very entertaining to watch. They all fit together and very nicely as a piece of fiction. They're all in character as fictional constructs, but how many of them make us feel as people? And, and, the, and I think in both of both Stephen White's stories, you can split the characters into the ones that You have some hope of identifying with, and the ones that are simply there for you to think, oh, that's clever. Mm -hmm. That's quite funny, and that's quite clever. Well done. Uh, But I, I have no, I don't mind that as a style.
0: Once in a Mm. while.
2: Am I making any sense? Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean,
0: so, so I mean, I, I think my initial viewing of it was a bit more positive than either of you two. I mean, I, I I think what happened was, I'm not sure. I saw it immediately. It went out. Because uh, I was at university at the time, I think what I think I probably saw it a bit after, and I might have seen all of the episodes fairly close together. I think, like you say, with um, with time in the Rani, that was an endurance, and I think I saw in this that whilst it wasn't brilliant, it had the seed of something that made it worth watching. Other mm. Doctor Who in this in the series, it wasn't you know I wasn't going to give up on it entirely, so I, I, I cut it quite a lot of slack for that reason. I mean the acting's very uneven, I think is is what I <clears throat> spotted this time. That there's there's quite there's quite a lot of sort of children's T V style acting going on. You know, and there's also quite a lot of rhubarbing going on. You know, there's there's in the Kang the Red <laughs> Kang's only have two speaking actors <laughs> and mm. then a bunch of 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 bit parts and it's sort of the same all the way through. But I mean I mean it's a fantastically huge cast and it does give the sense that there are lots of people in this place. But, but yeah, not very many speakers among them, and I guess be it probably uh, you know more than anything, it feels like a um, a stage play as much as a as a television show.
2: Yeah, mm. yes, yeah, I shouldn't harp on too much about the difference about how I received it back then, because who on earth wants to know? I mean, I'm surprised anyone wants to know what I think now as a forty-something-year-old, <laughs> but <laughs> who wants to know what I was thinking when I was sixteen? Mm. I I sure as eggs don't, mm. but. I remember thinking, there's another one of those sort of season 17, 18 things. A lot of people, clever people, knew that this was much better than the the previous year or two or whatever, Mm -hmm. depending on just how much you disliked the previous. It got very serious, very up itself, very continuity bound, very dry, Mm. very dull. And in almost every way, this was the the most massive improvement in terms of imagination and ambition. Mm. But I guess and I think I could tell it even then, but the point was it was often spoiled by things that made you made you slightly embarrassed, made you cringe, as the young people say nowadays. <laughs> and I and back then that meant more to me, that bothered me so much. And whether it's whether I, it's maturity or just distance. But um I don't worry about all that now and I can just enjoy it. Hmm and I do enjoy it a hell of a lot more than Terror of the Vervoids, for example. <laughs> This yeah. is something new, not pastiche. I mean, the the best of... Pre- even Terry of the Vervoids is better than a lot of the stuff around it. It's, at least it's pastiching yes. something else. Half the time, we were pastiching Doctor Who, and that's when mm. you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. That's when you're really, well, it really is running dry. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to be too equivocal about it. I, do, I really do think it's a terrific story. Yeah. It's just... I don't know. You know, little things. Mm. Some of the actors, the costumes maybe aren't quite in sympathy. It would have looked much... Better if the I think with the script being that stylized, there's mm. an argument, I, mean, I, my personally, I personally would think you shouldn't stylize everything else. So for me in particular, if the, if the setting had been much more naturalistic, as, um, the sets are great, as everyone, say, mm. as everyone says on the documentary. I think the costumes fight against yeah. it. They look a bit Blake 7. Mm. There's various things that are wrong with them. But they're just too over-designed, over too shiny and stylized and, mm. and just too clean.
0: I mean I I had this this funny feeling when I watched it the first time that Richard Briers kind of wrecks it in episode 4 by kind of overacting <laughs> but I mean on watching it this time I actually thought well he's overacting from the first time you see him on screen and actually I mean, at least in episode 4 he's he's sort of doing zombie acting I mean it it may not be very good but but I can sort of see what he's trying to do with it and to some extent it's it's almost better than the the other stuff you get in the first three episodes, which, which is kind of what well, or at least at least that's less explicable that he that he overacts it so much in the first three when he's when he's just being you know uh, allegedly a normal person. Uh, I yeah, it's oh. an interesting hypothesis. You're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: he's not here. You don't need to do. He's not <laughs> listening. You don't need to defend him. I, I when you watch that documentary, I'm not convinced he. I think he knows he was <laughs> way over the top and um he's trying to convince himself that it was the right thing to do
1: i really don't have a problem with it in the in the first three episodes i think it fits right into the you know as an interpretation (laughs) and was this around the time had ever uh, had ever decreasing circles started by now yeah yeah so that oh yeah most
2: Hmm. yes at least halfway through yes yeah
1: so obviously he had cultivated
2: this well. Chrissy character. I assume they were casting him to get Martin Price because there's a lot of that, mm. I'm not going to say unimaginative, there's a lot of that stereotyping people in this era, isn't there? Mm. Very often Bringing people in to say, do your thing, do that thing you do, but in Doctor Who. Mm.
1: So I don't, I don't have a problem with that. Because I mean, yeah, the whole thing,
2: as, as you say, the stylisation, it needs you know, I agree. It's a terrific performance in the first three episodes mm. and, and Clive Merrison and he worked very well together,: yes, playing it exactly yeah. as it's written.: mm-hmm. The argument really is about and, and also I would say the, he's doing some very bad acting in the fourth episode. Mm. But the argument really is, what, what should he have been doing? What, I mean I might think I might say, well, w- it would have been better if rather than raising the performance up to a higher pitch, he would have toned it down mm. and made something more sinister. But I don't know if it's supposed to be sinister. That's just mm. my, my feeling that maybe Stephen White has something yet again in, in mind. I think something quieter and less ranty would have been an interesting contrast, but it's not. That's just one interpretation. Mm. He's still occasionally funny, even in the fourth episode, because he's Richard Briers. I mean, how could he not be? Mm. And is it, do you think, as it's a story which, um, like a Donald Cotton or something, where the comedy is supposed to turn very dark at the end, do you think it is
0: pitched that way on, on the page?
1: Mm. Interesting question.
0: I mean, I, I feel like the comedy's sort of run out, really, by the fourth episode, but...
2: Yes. Yes, it it has, doesn't it? And it's not necessarily replaced with anything more interesting than just we've all got to work together, which is a running theme of the karma years, mm. karma is, isn't it?
1: Yes. Well, it's a fairly... Yes, I mean, it's, the, the comedy's fairly dark throughout, and it, um, <laughs> I'd, I'd 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 forgotten quite how how blatant Tabby and Tilda is right from the right from the beginning. Mm. I I had sort of slightly misremembered that they they started off as two nice you know, two nice nice old ladies who were helpful <laughs> and then and then gradually you gradually it dawns. But in fact it's entirely there from the Um yeah, it's entirely there from that, the that moment tone, to appear.
2: That tone is pretty unprecedented in all the previous twenty four years of Doctor Who isn't it? Mm. Characters like that who are just that—that's so large mm. and so stylized and so unbelievable but dramatically very valid and very entertaining mm. and very well played. Mm. Getting the costumes if it didn't look like Galloping Galaxies or whatever mm. then it would be, mu- I'm assuming all of this was supposed to feel sinister mm. rather than like a like a bit of a. like a CBBC bit of a production,
1: yeah. Yes. Mm. Mm.
2: He doesn't say all that in the documentary Stephen Wired because he's too nice. Mm. He just hints that sometimes things weren't quite as it pictured them. Mm. But I'm assuming almost everything wasn't quite as it pictured it. But I mean, he would have been happy to have these great actors doing mm. his dialogue justice. But, but, you know, with just a slight tweak of the tone in the makeup, the costumes, the, the lighting, mm. you could have had something where the the contrast between the humor and the horror (laughs) of Mm. this situation not just the individual moments of horror the 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 various ingenious deaths and so on but the just the general horror of the atmosphere Mm. could have been much much stronger has anyone here read high-rise by the way no. Nope. I hate, to, say, I hate to be the ghost as I've seen the film. <laughs> yeah, well, so have I. But I, I can't remember enough about it to. Um, <laughs> I was hoping somebody would know it well enough to mm. to make an informed comment Sorry. on just how much he's he's borrowed.
0: You won't get an informed comment from me. <laughs> it would be very off-brand, wouldn't it? To mm. have informed comment. <laughs> ah, damn it. I mean, I, I think the problem is that it, it it's been made in the 1980s. Uh, that's how I feel about it. It's all it's all a bit, you know. There's there's, there's just too much, you know. The the, the, the when they get to the top of the of the tower. It's all very 1980s. The kangs are a bit, you know, mm-hmm. 1980s pop video. Yep. It, yeah. It 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 just feels like 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 the it's too obvious where it yeah. where it was made. I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Because a Doctor Who's always of its ear, isn't it? But mm, somehow,
2: yeah. when we look back on the stories that look very 60s or 70s, it doesn't often seem to ruin a, mm. <laughs> a story in a way that looking a bit too 80s does.
1: The, so, some does. of it works very well, though. I mean, the, the bit where the Doctor's watching the promotional video for Paradise Towers, and yeah. you've, got that, <laughs> you've got those sort of 80, 80s video production values yeah. on, the, on the promotional film. Is um is great, and that's a whole other level of gout. You know, with the somewhat dry voiceover, come to Paradise Towers, mm. sort of <laughs> adds another level to
2: it. I think the Kangs are the biggest disappointment design-wise because mm. they are. Uh, I think they're probably supposed to be younger, although that's not necessarily a problem because if they were children when the adults disappeared, and they've they could well be <laughs> mm. women in their mid to late twenties. Who, yeah. are, who act like children? That's not necessarily a problem. That could that could have been quite disturbing. But um, yeah. unfortunately, what we get is women in their mid twenties who mm. act like posh actresses in their mid twenties. No, actually, I mm. will tell you what. The the problem is, I don't want to pick on anyone, but um, Turlow's missus, who plays the, Julie oh, G- G- Brennan, yeah, is yes, it, is she Fire Escape? Anyway, whatever. Mm. She, I mean, she is the the weakest. She's a good actress, but she's not. I never believe for a second that she's anyone other than the actress Julie Brennan. All the the others manage to she she's just acting too much. Mm. She's too posh, she's too precise. Mm. She doesn't convince me that she's not I feel she's acting down, whereas the others mm. somehow. And um Catherine Cusack mm. in yeah. her first television appearance, I think, is very naturalistic. I was watching her in a in a much smaller part mm. I believed her yeah. mm. I believed that she had been stuck in this place for the last 20 years and this is all she's known
3: mm.
2: and she was talking in the documentary about how she was em- <laughs> a bit embarrassed and had trouble getting her tongue around these mm. ridiculous neologisms mm. but it doesn't show and uh, I'm kind of thinking that might ex- explain why she's had a longer more successful career in television mm. I don't want to be rude about the others but I think you can tell from hmm. this, she she gets she gets her head around this difficult part hmm. in a way that, um, you know, not all of them do. And, uh, but putting those silly wigs on them, I mean, it just takes you out the other moment, doesn't it? Hmm. Yeah. If they looked feral, I don't know how to harp on production values, but this is quite extreme. It's not like a... It's not a budgetary problem. I'm not saying... I'm not criticising them for something that was out of their control because they couldn't have done it better. They could have done it better. It was an artistic choice to make hmm. it look... Glam and shiny, and and it's just not what is required, is it? It doesn't fit with the set either. Well, this is the thing. Nowadays, in the, in the era of tone mm, meetings, you'd have everything would be mm, would be on the same page.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting because I've forgotten how, At times, it's very well directed. You get some interesting camera moves and stuff going on, and I've forgotten mm. it was Nicholas Mallett, and obviously he then went on to knock it out the park with Fenwick. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is the thing—he he just didn't quite have everything, didn't have quite all the stars aligning in the same direction on this one. But it's funny, yeah. There are certain elements that are there, and I—I I don't know how much choice, you know, I don't know how much control really the directors had back in the in the '80s. No, I've never had the impression that auteur theory really applied to Doctor Who, unless you had a possibly. I, I guess someone like Graham Williams might have been enough of a force of nature that he. Could get everyone going along the same lines, but sometimes you certainly seem to have. I mean st- Graham Harper. Sorry, I, yes, I do mean Graham Harper. You sometimes had someone like Graham Har- Harper who maybe was enough of a force of nature to impose his ideas onto and get other people fired up in the different departments. But in other mm. cases, you certainly had you know you get you get, get mismatches where you know you have great sets and then the costumes go awry or you know all the lighting goes off. And good costumes, and, and the lighting's off, and and so on. And um, this seems to be it. That I think the costume choice is probably the, the thing about well, the costume and makeup combined, are probably the thing that's letting the letting the side down, coupled with some of the performances. I quite like Binliner mm-hmm. as well, actually, and I think she yeah she's good. She does a pretty good job yep. of it as well.
2: Yeah, no, it really it really was mostly. I mean, I actually, I mean, despite what I said, I actually do have it in for Julie Brennan. She <laughs> ruined this. Why well, couldn't she look around at what all her colleagues were doing? Mm. And, and, and I, no, sorry. <laughs> um, o- oddly enough, on the documentary, the only production point I remember Stephen Wyatt picking up on is not one that actually bothered me over much, but perhaps he would have been too polite to mention the others. He picks up on the fact that the actors playing the caretakers should have been older more unfit mm. less physically they they would have been the the men who were left behind who weren't so fit to to mm. go after war he wanted dad's army basically only. a lot of ra- rather old fat infirm looking men mm. uh, yeah dad's mm. army that would have been great and somebody didn't pick up on that i don't uh, maybe he didn't think to put it in the script i don't know nobody nobody asked mm. him but um that's an interesting point they're sort of playing it, the people who are too
0: stupid to go to war, aren't they? Yes, mm. they're playing that.
2: Yeah, which is it, which is why I didn't, it didn't bother me actually. It, it didn't occur to me at any point that uh, mm. that, that was breaking the spell. Because, yeah. Yes, and there's an, uh, quite a nice background mugging. On yes. The yeah. The, definitely. The lead stupid caretakers. Mm. Yeah.
1: On a similar similar vein, don't we have um, in in terms of like disagreements with or you know points that have been raised. Didn't, didn't they cast Peck's yes. against what Stephen White was anticipating because yeah. Pex wanted him to be a Stallone type
2: yes yeah I mean Stephen White says that he understands why that they did audition loads of well whether it's true or not mm. but they tried to find a Stallone type mm. and um, none of them were funny all the people who looked right mm. weren't funny so they went with somebody who could play it properly yeah because I think Howard Cook's great and great in this yeah he also magnanimously says that if they had cast a Stallone type, it would have looked ridiculous with him that person standing next to Bonnie Langford throughout the entire thing, but I don't know whether. That hmm. looked funny. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I thought Stallone was short. Fair point. Oh, he didn't point, say yeah. Stallone type, that was Giles. So, yes, right? it was me, but yeah. so someone muscle and Maybe a Dolph Lundgren type. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe a Hulk Hogan type. <laughs> a Giant Haystacks type. A Michael Kilgareth type. <laughs> 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 Stephen Thorne type. Bernard Bristol type? No. Ain't. I nearly said that and I thought... <laughs> now you, no, could you be Paul, you've, you've run this joke into the ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now you get to cap it.
0: Uh. <laughs> At the start of this, I, I noticed the Doctor says about Paradise Towers, it won awards in the 21st century. He and did I thought, that, didn't he? I, I, it, you know, it's classic late 20th century that you sort of feel like so long as it's another century it, any, <laughs> anything could happen uh, and yet now it sort of feels odd that they would have said it so mm. not very far in the future. Indeed and of course while there's nothing particularly
2: f- um, depending on how you look at it particularly futuristic about it brackets apart from the fact that the, they're just keep the Kragnon's consciousness alive outside his body I suppose mm. but you know we'll, f- we'll forgive that it would have to be on a very, um, one of the earliest Earth colonies. Do we even have Earth colonies in the 21st century, Richard?
0: What, elsewhere in Doctor <laughs> Who? <laughs> no,
2: in the real... In the, I was assuming you'd gone forward in time to the end of the century to check this for me.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not expecting it to happen.
2: No. Yeah.
0: Talking of um, how this
2: is a new era of, for Doctor Who in terms of approach, what was the big first about this? Was the first story where they just arrived... Randomly? No, it's not random, is it? Because they choose to go there. There's something about it. It's the first story that didn't have any continuity elements, not a single returning character or element or reference or anything for a very, very, very long time. I think it Mm. it was hailed as such back in the day. Yeah. And whereas we might be thinking that Cartman went out of his way to do that, what he actually did is prove that it's very easy to do that. Mm. (laughs) It's more effort to to burden these things with continuity Hmm.
3: Hmm.
0: when you bring in new writers they should be creating new worlds yeah well for 18 or 19 years Doctor Who never really really bothered with continuity did it and then suddenly it arrived by the ladle so you know so having been watching a lot of 60s Who for my other podcast
2: it is reminiscent of those Hmm. glorious early days when he never knew what was around the corner Mm -hmm. just a bit sillier what do we think of, of McCoy here because I was still getting used to his his acting because it was you know quite a break from the sort of oh. actors we'd had mm. in the role before, but um, watching it with hindsight, he seems uh, in fact on the documentary, I think one of them says that they thought Sylvester was still feeling his way, but I thought well wow, this is his doctor this is mm. he. yeah He's, I was thinking it never really gets any better than this in a good way that mm. sounds bad <laughs> I was <laughs> thinking uh, you know all the all the marvelous new ideas he brought to the the role here mm. yeah all it's that, pretty <laughs> fully formed <laughs> well, does not it inverted commas darkness and sinister mm. sides that he added later on aren't here but I mean <laughs> that's not really for me despite a decade of new adventures that's not really for me the essential seventh doctor this is him here mm. Mm. and I find it all a lot more charming than I think I did as a teenager from the you know the moment he steps up the TARDIS and, and tries to have a conversation with a drinks fountain or whatever it is it's terrific mm. And he holds his own against all these great actors.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Very good in the scene when he's tricking the two caretakers. Mm, yes. Very subtle, that. subtle performance of that, and it's a bit like some. He gets given a lot of um, quiet scenes like that later on. Normally, with well, a slightly like more serious edge, like the, the gun scene. Yes,
1: there, yeah. In the Heaven's Patrol that
2: everyone always goes on about, but um, he's showing what he can do even this early mm. on. Yeah, he's got that nice yeah.
1: wiz- wistfulness. And thoughtfulness in at uh, various moments
2: so when he always used to say and still says that he didn't know what he was doing in season 24 and he just was thrown in the deep end and was swimming and falling back on what he knew how uh, mm. to be clownish it just it just doesn't show here that's only yeah. really a
0: phone to time in the rani isn't yeah. it yeah mm. yeah well i mean it may of course you know in most things the first few weeks you do something seem to last forever and then everything kind of telescopes up after that so i I wonder if he's remembering those first few weeks in time in the Rani and thinking it lasted rather longer than it did. <laughs> well, it must have felt like a lifetime. <laughs> everyone involved in the bloody thing. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, really, the only bit that I find frustrating is when, at the end of episode three, he gets captured by the cleaner. You know, it's a bit like the the Dragon Fire cliffhanger. Mm. You know, that he goes out of his way to to, to, to be sort of grabbed by it. Mm. But apart from that, and if that's not his fault, that's the weakness of the script. Several other actors have been put through that yeah.
2: mill in previously, haven't they? Yes, so yeah. I would talk about what we think Stephen Moffat's signature style is, but us Stephen Moffat right? <laughs> your turn. <laughs> I'm doing it again. <laughs> I would talk about what we think Graham Williams <laughs> 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 I would talk more about stephen wyatt's right style but that would involve talking about both his stories I and mean, we shouldn't really get ahead of ourselves should we but um sticking mostly to this and we're touching on greater show if you must what do, what do you think stephen wyatt brings to the table
0: well i, I think it's what you were talking about earlier it, it, it's figures that are larger than life that have i suppose a spark of something you might have seen elsewhere but a, but a sort of Amplified To the point where They become Slightly caricatured I think a lot of mm. um, A lot of the Rights of the shows Had worked in the theatre Hadn't they mm. Yeah
2: They certainly hadn't worked In television very much I think Because um, Stephen White's Script Claws Which I, I remember Did anyone see that At the time Had been Submitted to the BBC Which is what um, Cartmel saw But mm. hadn't been produced yet I think came
0: Right I think it came On the year after Yeah
1: I mostly know why these days he seems to have done quite a lot of um, Dickens adaptations of lesser known Dickens stuff that sometimes comes up on Radio 4 Extra and things like that. And I, I think there's something Dickensian. In, I mean, maybe it's because you've seen mm-hmm. actresses like. Who is it who plays Tabby? Brenda Bruce. Brenda Bruce. Judy
2: Cornwell. Judy Cornwell. Brenda it's Elizabeth Bruce. Spriggs. Elizabeth Spriggs. Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. Who, of course, later played Mrs. Gamp. In um, Chuzzlewit, ah, yes. which really? maybe is making me um, make that connection that you know, there's a lot of that, but that largeness of character. It's interesting because he doesn't, he doesn't exactly deal in incredibly complex plots <laughs> in either of his stories. I don't think really. I confess to not having seen greatest show in longer than I care to remember, and that's just more by accident than. Uh, Than anything, but in this in this case, as you said, there's a stylisation, and it's it's more interesting the incident as it goes along because the actual plot isn't no. the actual plot of this is pretty
2: it's mm. <laughs> pretty trite, um, but you just have a lot of fun along the mm. way. I've always been a big fan of Great Show, and I think watching this again, it's cemented my feeling that Great Show works better as a piece of television. It's but it's almost entirely because the production is much more in sympathy with the script. Mm the yeah. design, the direction in particular which is extraordinary matches his stylisation and it's, and it, yeah that's what you have to look at to see what Paradise Towers could have been, mm. I don't think it's as cohesive, um, everything here is uh, working it's a, co- it's a completely cohesive environment mm. and everything fits nicely whereas Greatest Show is like <laughs> a random bunch of ideas, it feels like a random bunch of ideas he's had and he doesn't even go into any very great lengths to convince you that they aren't, because they, they are just a load of people who've arrived on this planet, aren't they? Hmm. Hmm. So um, it's there in plain sight. So I think this could have been even better if it had been directed by Alan Waring and, uh, and you know the SWAT production teams. Hmm. But I like his dialogue, I like his joy with words. It feels like a very long time since we've had that. And I'm sure Pip and Jane Baker would be saying, Excuse me if they were listening. Mm -hmm. But I I mean, their joy with words is not. (laughs) Yeah. I think is a bit self indulgent. It's the sort of joy with words that leaves everyone else out of the past. It's not something that survives coming
1: out of an actor's mouth.
2: (laughs) No. (laughs) No, indeed. Where, you know, for all their decades of experience in television. Well, you know, I'm not, I shouldn't be praising Stephen White by slagging off Biff and Jane Baker. It's very easy to do, and that's why I shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> but I, I do think his, hmm. his dialogue is terrific, and I don't know why he's not been used more. I don't know why he's not been brought back to modern mm-hmm. Who. I would have brought him back just as readily as Rainer Monroe. Mm-hmm. I don't know why he's
0: not done a big finish until this, this year. It feels to me that the, that the, the journey of both of his stories is the thing. I mean the destination is kind of, you know, less interesting, but 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 it's a, it it's very interesting to see where, you know, where it's going and and, and along the way. Mm.
2: Yeah, and I think that's the last thing I'd, I'd want to say about Paradise Towers because it possibly links with with the long game. Mm. Is there a some of the characters have a a journey in this, and others seem to meander and and go on dead ends and red herrings and that's where I think you can tell that it hadn't been plotted very thoroughly in advance I mean I I'm still slightly frustrated by the fact that Mel, even after she knows that thing, very bad things are happening here and that A uh. she's in at the very least she's in danger but the, mm. she's supposed to be a companion of, of the Doctor, she should know that the companion's life is to, <laughs> is to help him save the day and right the wrongs but she's obsessed with this bloody swimming pool mm. And it doesn't really make any sense On a character level Or or a plot level But mm. um, So that's slightly odd
1: I think there's a line about her having arranged to meet him up there At some point The <laughs> thing is thrown <laughs> okay. away Or that's her mm. But I, I suspect we've, Maybe the, the other thing You're going to point out is When they get there, the fact that after all she's been through Threatened by cannibal lesbians Who've been eaten by robot cleaners, etc., <laughs> etc. Et mm. She then goes, "Oh, let's get into that." <laughs> I would have would have a, I have a it's swim. Not so much the
2: getting up there as the, yeah, extraordinary naivety. Mm. Yeah.
1: Yes, and, it's mm. lovely. They must just make up all the stories to keep the keep stop people from coming up here.
0: And then, <laughs> but then the robot crab thing isn't very impressive anyway. Mm. I mean, it didn't it didn't feel like. I mean, I mean, maybe it might have killed it, but it didn't feel like it's going to happen anytime. So no, no. Uh, I don't know what anyone would expect stuff. when they write a,
2: an underwater robot mm. in Doctor Who. I don't know quite what you would be expecting it to look like. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's the writer's job to not rein in their imagination mm. and everyone else to make it work for them, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Do you think it's slightly too long? I think it could have been a very, very tight three-parter. But mm. we that's something you used to argue about in those days. You didn't until until season 20 four because we didn't have three parts before Mm. then and suddenly it all became about well this one would have been better as three or that one was good that three parts could have been four and everyone was Mm. well maybe it's just in my circles or in my head but (laughs) i remember a lot of arguing
0: of the toss over you know 25 minutes here or there
3: Hmm.
0: there was this thought wasn't there as you say that the four parts were somehow better than the three um uh, uh, and it did not really borne out particularly by the uh, Maybe maybe it's just because those two at the end of this season aren't all that.
1: Take that back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: well, these were Delta's
1: concern. I was about to say, and then mm. by as because I was about to say with regard to my my initial sheepishness or cringe factor. By the time we got to yeah. Delta in the Benhamen, I was completely on board and and mm. uh, and loving it, and uh,
2: thought, yeah. Well while we're still dipping back so, into yeah. our teenage memories I thought it this season, I remember distinctly thinking and telling everyone it got better with each successive story, mm. but I, I don't know if I think that now I, d- I sometimes look at it and think that Deltron and Bannerman is the most fully realised mm. story whatever that, whatever that means but going back to the idea of the, d- the journey mm. and the, the environment the towers mm. build high for happiness is the motto of the entire story there's Mel's obsession with getting to the top, but the evil lives in the basement. Mm. But in general, there's d- there's no r- real differentiation between any of the 150 floors in between, is there? Yeah. Mm. It doesn't get worse as you go down, or worse as you get up, in no. particular. So it's that's why I think that contributes to the fact that it feels the middle episodes feel quite meandering. The mm. plot yeah. is progressing, but the geography of the tower isn't really adding to the plot no. i don't mm. think A- apart from downwards you yeah. I mean, when the fact that everyone's taken down into the basement down either by the cleaners or straight down the
0: chute yeah i mean it is leading us down to the you know the cliff in the part 3 but is is it obvious that that's where the cleaners are going i, mu- I must say that it's that, it, that it's really only later in the story that it becomes clear to me that the, that the cleaners are heading off down to the basement the first few times i see it in this, it wasn't clear to me that that's where that was again my research is lacking
2: one thing I remember from High Rise is that the vertical layout of the environment in the the film and book High Rise is very important Mm. to the narrative Mm. and that the class system that is a metaphor for, that is laid bare during the story is entirely dependent on people wanting to get higher Mm. and that's a fairly basic science fiction idea isn't it in, in dystopian futures that the dregs of society live on the ground floor mm. yeah and the only way to raise yourself out of that is to get to the penthouse suite mm. it's interesting that apart that we don't really get much of that in paradise towers it's not really interesting in explo- and using the verticality mm, of no. its titular structure as any kind of metaphorical underpinning Mm. The enterprise. Yeah, no. This is. is I was
1: going. I was actually going to bring up the, you know, the question of whether is is there f- much metaphor going on? And you know, uh, as you say, uh, by the time you get to episode four, the lesson that's being drawn is a seems like a fairly trite
2: one of everyone should work together. There isn't one that underpins everything, is there? No, it's just a little, a little pinch of various different things. Mm. People descending into. Yes. And just ferality and savagery and losing the humanity. Mm. It's just very basic themes like that. Yeah. But that, you know, as a, and you wonder whether <laughs> there's a,
1: there's a bit of a police state kind of thing going on with the, with the caretakers. But they don't. The fact they the fact they all give their, comedy hit, their salutes when, when um for all hail the great architects...
2: It's much more about the banality of evil, Mm. isn't it? Well, maybe that's taken too literally, but the fact that they're so utterly banal Mm. and rule-bound. I don't know how much how much of that Nazi imagery is in the script and how much was just in the design. I wouldn't have thought there was very much of that in the script at all. Mm. I don't think it's it's only obeying orders.
1: No, no, it's it's really the it's really the combination of the caps and the big poofy trousers. The M. And it's much, yeah, it's much more M. drawn
2: from old British comic stereotypes of, mm, yeah. of officious park keepers and mm, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and, and uh, little men. Yes, with Blakey, Blakey isn't it? In big in, in uniforms, uh, exactly. Yeah, all the Blakers have been left behind
0: mm. on the B arc when all the, <laughs> everyone else went off to war. Mm. Yeah, there's just that one scene or group of scenes where Mel's in the in the lift with Pex and they. Descend suddenly to the basement and then whiz afterwards straight back up to the top, mm. which sort of puts the whole thing into some sort of perspective. But it, but it feels like it's thrown away a bit. Mm,
1: I was thinking, um, is that the first place where where the basement thing is mentioned properly? The fact it's forbidden, and we don't really find out anything more about the society from which they have come from on the outside. What how hap- it feels like there's a there's a Although, maybe that's a, maybe that's a I th- point that I we think, don't know what I happened think that's in the world. deliberate.
2: Yeah. I think if we'd had more time to write it, that we, we would have been able to read th- between the lines and um, discover more mm.
0: about the missing pictures of this jigsaw. Mm. But I guess for 90 minutes or whatever. I mean, this title. Do last for blinking ever, don't (laughs) you? But so so, so there's probably only about ninety minutes after you've snipped all that out, Mm. and you know, uh, for for me, it went along at a fairly decent pace. I was, Mm. you're right. You know, it it could have been a masterpiece. It wasn't that, but Mm. it was it was all right. I thought. Yep, I'm I'm very pleased with it.
2: I will put this on for pleasure, at the drop of a hat.
0: The drop of a peaked cap. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Perhaps we'll. Move on to long game, and then maybe talk about parallels, either while we're doing that or or afterwards. Uh, long game by Russell T. Davis, middle of his first run mm. where he seems to write everything more or less. <laughs> Directed by Brian Grant. Uh, 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 that's not a name that um, particularly springs to mind, but uh,
2: no. This is one. Do you want me to say something about Brian Grant? Go on then. I thought his direction was very impressive, I yeah. thought it looked great and I was waiting for him to come back and he never did. Mm. Mm. And he and he's always seemed very keen to talk about it, he was on all the commentaries and documentaries and things, but uh, never asked him back, I've no idea why, I don't imagine there's a big story behind that. The mm. yeah, other interesting thing that Brian Grant did for this story, Go on, is <laughs> I thought it looks great, I think his camera work is very nice. He does a lot of shooting things through other things. That's the, that's the technical term in, in photo- photography. <laughs> but also, he's turned off that filter, that gauze that um, the cinematographer, the director of photography, had used in every other episode. I think it's the only episode in his first 13 where he doesn't use it. And I was getting sick of it by this point. There a lot of people moaning about the look of it, saying it looked like Harley Oaks rather than an expensive science fiction programme, which is a slight exaggeration, <laughs> but I, I just kind of know what what these mm. people meant this is the first one that didn't for me uh, does anyone else know what I'm talking about they've put the film effect on it it's yeah. just shot on standard definition videotape yes. then they've they've cut out every other frame to make it look filmy yeah but the f- director of photographers put a particular filter on the lens on every episode of this series to blur it
0: mm. to
2: blur the picture soften it I thought it looked bloody awful and Brian yeah. Grant overruled the director of photography and was allowed yeah. to so apparently it wasn't that important that it was the directors were forced to use it. And that's why I always thought it looks better, sharper, and um, posher, and more expensive than all the other episodes. Because it's, it's not crippled by this um, strange decision to lower the quality of your picture. Mm-hmm. So well done, Brian Grant, for that. But um, probably shouldn't have been the first lengthy... Monologue on the subject of the long game, should it? I think we've gone
0: way off topic there. Sorry, we should be talking <laughs> no. the story itself and all I can talk about
2: no, is I, the crispness
0: I, I, of the image. To be to be honest, you know, I, I I agree with you. I think when I watched this one, as as usual, you know, not having watched it for, since it originally went out, I all I remembered was people moaning about the long game and how it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't all that great a story. But I remember actually quite liking it when I saw it and. I quite liked it this time too, and I. but I did think that, that shot down of the Earth in the spaceship, that's beautiful, there's there's some really nice shots both at floor 139 and at floor 500, yeah, I, I thought pretty decent job, I mean, you could say maybe the, the alien is a bit kind of weird looking at the end, but yeah, I'm not going to get too upset about that. And if it's not getting ahead of ourselves, he assembled a good cast,
2: didn't he? A fantastic mm. cast, yeah. Yes, very good indeed. Giles, do you want to say something before I carry uh, on?
1: It's, um, <laughs> because it's funny. I know it's, it's. I've always tended to overlook this story because it kind of sits in the middle of. It sits in the middle of an awful lot of stuff that is ostensibly meteor, but then it's also yeah. possibly it was the first, it was arguably the first filler episode that we had. I think it's a bit unfair to retrospectively look on it as a filler episode because at the time we didn't necessarily know. Mm. We had like the opening, the opening trilogy, which was all setting up, and then we had the Slitheen two-parter, which
0: yeah, it's abomination. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was
1: going to say it's um it has its pluses and its minuses. So I was going to be a bit, <laughs> a bit more equivocal than that, but then we'd had Dalek and and. Obviously, then you you know you got this is a, this is sandwiched between Dalek and Father's Day, hmm. both of which are quite meaty stories, but it's 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 a it's a very serviceable yeah it's a, it's a good as a standalone piece of Doctor Who, and you know especially given that its apparent heritage as, as something that Russell had written in the eighties as an early pitch to the show, devised the basic idea. It's a perfectly serviceable piece of Doctor Who that could have come out of hmm. could really have come out of the McCoy kind of era, uh, all similar
0: it's it's also one of the few proper bits of arc we get in this first series too, in that it's setting up the, um, the conclusion mm,
2: yes, is, is it Richard, is it, I'm going to come back to that mm, okay. and make you wish you'd never said it yeah no, I don't know John, so I think you're trying to make excuses for all those people at the time who who wrote it off for a variety of spurious reasons I mean, yes, uh, you know, whether it be coming straight after Dalek, mm. and they thought that Doctor Who's going to be like that every single week. Mm. Now we would reached the heights of Dalek. It's going to be like that. People never thought about filler. People talk about filler episodes now, because Doctor Who's a, a series. Mm-hmm. But um, people never talked about filler stories. When you had six, four-part stories as series, mm. nobody ever said, well, that one's a filler. Mm. Everyone was judging on its own merits. Yes, yeah. People never even thought that the six-part season finale ne- need necessarily be weightier than the others. It was just longer. Mm, mm. So I've really missed that. I really missed the days when people didn't have this shorthand way of dismissing. Mm, or yeah. When they were reviewing a story, it would automatically start on a lower rung mm. than it needed to because this was a filler one. This didn't contribute to the art. Mm. I missed that. It's yeah. very annoying. But um, people have written off for so many reasons. that. Once they found out that Russell had had the idea back in the 80s. And it seems to have entered urban legend that it, it was a Sir West McCoy story really they'd pitched.
1: At the time. I don't think it actually was, though, Maybe. was it? Wasn't it earlier?
2: Right. Oh, well, they. But, yeah, those. no, it, it, feels like it, it, <laughs> it feels like it would fit in. thought it felt... It feels like it would fit in, but... Hmm. And there was a hell of a lot of assuming on the part of mostly detractors that it was actually a script that he'd written in the Sylvester McCoy era and had just got out of his drawer and dusted off hmm. and, and just changed the names which I thought was very silly hmm. <laughs> people have been saying silly things about Doctor Who for a very long time now haven't they I wish they'd stop <laughs> it was clearly just <laughs> if it was an old idea that he dusted off and repurposed um, you don't have to link it to as acid- <laughs> well clearly Russell thought he needed to link it to the stories that came later on but I th- I don't think that was because he thought it didn't stand on its own. I don't think he would have viewed this as a filler story that needed justifying by pretending that the Daleks were behind it all later on. I think he only did that when he came up the wheeze for reusing the sets. Mm. Mm. It's like saying that the Ark in Space was a bit of filler, but suddenly it's worth considering because it links to Revenge of the Sidemen. Mm. Oh, the Sidemen were behind it. Oh, well, there you are. <laughs> now mm. I give a shit. <laughs> I <just laughs> and I am going to get on to that point I think the idea, the retconning, because r- a writer can retcon their own ideas just a few weeks later. It doesn't have to be done by successive production teams um, years later. For Russell to say, oh, the Daleks were setting this up, the Daleks installed the mighty Jagrafest of the Holy Max of Rodenfoe mm. into the top of Satellite 5, it makes no sense whatsoever. And it's just because he's convinced himself that he needs to justify reusing the set. And I really would much rather <laughs> <laughs> there'd been no link whatsoever. Because if only, be, uh, partly because it doesn't make any sense. Why would they do that? Why would the Daleks install, use a different alien, spad, uh, uh, whatever? It, it also fuels the fire of those fans who say, well, this story w- was rubbish. It was filler. It was, it was trivial and not worth my attention. But now that I know that it had something to do with some Daleks... <laughs> It suddenly has been elevated, in my estimation, which mm. so many people were saying back in two thousand and five. And I, I hope mm. they've had time to reflect on, on the banality of their vision. Yeah. <laughs> what this is, you see, mm. it, it doesn't make any sense. Not just f- through practicality. I mean, if you, th- you know, some people think the Daleks employing the Ogrons is a bit silly. Mm. There are lots of Daleks. Why the hell do they need Ogrons? But you know, that says nothing to them using a pig slave. What? Pig slaves. <laughs> yes. Well <quite. laughs> oh well, that's a whole. I could do a whole episode on st- yeah. the stupidity of the Daleks never just being the Daleks, mm. and always having mm. to be. Ah. Oh. Anyway, no. Um. <laughs> but this story, to the extent, is about something. It it does have its. It's a it's a, it's a satire. Mm. Yeah. On the um, willingness and gullibility of the public and the willingness to just be enslaved, intellectually enslaved, mm. by media corporations. Mm. That's a nice little story. Yes. It's the perfect subject matter for a filler episode, or as we used to call them, an episode. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it doesn't fit with the Daleks. If you say the Daleks are behind all this, it ruins, it takes all that out. Hmm. It undercuts that point and just makes it about, oh, they're softening the, um, the human population up so they'll be easier to invade. Well, why did they... T- they use big old laser cannons to soften <laughs> people up. They don't use mm. subtle mm. tactics like this. Mm. So that, that always annoyed me. Because I mm. because I enjoyed this story and I thought it stood on its own two feet. Mm. And said something interesting. I like it also. Did you say it's like the first standalone episode? What it is, I was having major... Well, no. I had some concerns over the 45-minute format back then.
0: Mm.
2: Which had never really gone away. I still divide them into ones that are well structured, that make good use of the 45 minute structure and, one, and ones that don't, there's still far too many episodes that have so much set up and so much epilogue mm. that they yes. have hardly any story in the middle Yeah, yeah. but um, this one is paced very nicely mm. it, um, what, it, what this one is, is a traditional Doctor Who story without the padding, mm-hmm. without the running around the escape and getting locked up yeah. it's taken all that out and it just tells its story economically mm. with the right amount of humour and tension and, and it does have a clarity in terms of the overlay of the geography onto the narrative which Paradise Towers lacks mm. yeah. possibly because of its greater length and the need for more padding if we have to call it that it's much clearer here that what we need to know about is, uh, is upwards mm. that's where we've got to go do we want to go there, it sounds a bit dangerous are we at the top, no there's something still above us even, you know, it's um, it's all very clearly laid out, and I think that keeps us engaged. Mm. I mean, you know, you don't. If you can't keep your audience engaged over forty-five minutes, uh, <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure you should be writing Doctor Who. But um, but Russell knows how to do it, and this I I I've always enjoyed this as possibly his most traditional story. He wrote other stand-alone episodes that weren't linked to arcs. But um. Never one that felt quite so much. Just like a doctor of the old school, and I'm um, perfectly happy to see a lot more of it based on this evidence.
1: Hmm. It's interesting to, talking about the you know the standaloneiness or otherwise, and the the other thing is within the context of the developing first first series. Um, obviously, this is kind of all all about Adam, and this is the setup. And you know, it was even called the companion that couldn't, or something at one point, wasn't it? Hmm. And obviously, hmm. he's there. Yeah, you know, this is there because we're getting different aspects of Rose's character, and so on. It's interesting coming to the next episode thing at the end of it. You know, realizing that well, hang on, yeah, of course, this is kind of setting us up for the fact that Rose is going to encounter the same temptation yeah. or, or a similar temptation the following week, and is also going to get it worse. Yeah, get it wrong.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's fascinating because if I'd spotted that at the time that this is leading, us directly into Father's Day, I'd I'd forgotten it completely. Because watching, yeah, as you say, <laughs> watching that next time, it suddenly became extraordinarily clear. Mm-hmm. And that's very clever. What a thicky if I didn't see that fifteen years ago. <laughs> but I was wondering if there's a, if there is a weakness. I was thinking that the Adam plot often feels quite separate. Mm. Well, it's almost the equivalent of Mel's. Odyssey up to the swimming pool he, hmm. he excuses himself and goes off in his own mm. storyline which only comes back in fairly close to the end and on my first watch I was thinking is that a sign that that's an afterthought but of course it could be the opposite it's the flip side of that if the main thing Russell wanted to do was tell the story of the companion who couldn't mm. then what he needed as a framework for that was a nice simple standalone story. story mm. I mean if you take out the Adam stuff there's probably about you know, half an hour of plot left mm. so maybe that's why he thought this one was suitable in, in his drawer mm. well apparently that is. He maybe he thought mm. it couldn't stand on its own and it would only work if he added a mm. a b plot which is actually the thing he's most interested in, in exploring mm.
1: well apparently that you know that was the case that's you know because it was um also called adam and i am reading here thanks to the <laughs> thanks to the tr- trusty <laughs> trusty oh, falcon you
2: could have had people. You could have people fooled into thinking that no, no, it's, your um, enormous brain was already but on information.
1: The, apparently there was an earlier draft of the script in which, um, in which Adam's father had a disease that was incurable mm. and that was, you know, that was yeah. driving Adam's motivation to find out about and to bring stuff back from the future potentially.
2: I mean did he cut that for time or because he didn't think Adam, or did you think making Adam more sympathetic would have undercut the point, because of course, mm. if it'd gone for that, if it'd gone that for that, makes that him would be much, really f- yes. much closer to yes, much much closer to what happens with Rose mm. next week. She yeah. has a an ex- a good excuse. Mm. Whereas here, what we're left with in the ultimate version is Adam just being selfish, mm. and mm. what he's using time travel. Not as an excuse to enrich himself and enlarge his mind, but to make a bit of money. What's in it for me? It's yeah. The first instinct he has, the first place he goes. Mm.
0: So it's um, you know, rather slates his character doesn't it mm. no going back from that i mean the truth to me is that you know eccleston's doctor ninth doctor just doesn't like adam he doesn't like him at the start he doesn't like him at the end no mm. and he finds a good excuse for get for dumping him mm. it feels sort of little more than that to me and
1: should, how does how does adam end up in utah in 2012 is it utah in <laughs> I mean, can can anyone remember what his what the characters set up, in, genius, set up in set up in something like that. Like a
2: a whiz kid. yeah. Because obviously he's hanging oh, around this big. Yeah. There's not a lot of continuity between these two
0: stories, is there? I was just I mean, wondering whether there was some
1: not. indication of in his visa for being
2: on Van Staten's base.
0: Yeah, he's a sort of clever, pr- prodigious kid.
2: Mm. He? I think maybe I'd have, his arc could have been better remembered if it had at least three episodes. I think, so people got to know him a bit better. Mm. But he's almost, you know, he's a bit introduced in a rather half hearted way in Dalek, isn't mm. he? I'm not saying that Russell or Rob did a bad job writing him, but there's a lot of other stuff going on. And so we can't help but be a bit frustrated when we go back to this idiot mm. when we want to be watching the, the all new
0: Dalek. Mm. Hmm. Anyway, whatever. There's no point discussing <laughs> what might have been. <laughs> it's, it's, I, think, I find it interesting that in this story, the Doctor treats Rose and Adam like the kids. You know, He gives them 50p to go off to the pictures and yeah. you know, buy a bag of sweets while he gets on and talks to the adults. And it's very different from, from Rose's character in, even later in this, in this series, but certainly in the following one. Well, it
2: certainly cements his view that Rose has got the, the right stuff. This yeah. is, if if mm. nothing else comes out of this, it's, he's absolutely convinced that she... He keeps pointing to her as the model mm. yeah. of what a companion should be. Yes, which he'll do a lot more of of course we'd, we'd be doing the same to Martha um, if, a couple of years later but the less said about that the, mm.
3: the better <laughs> mm.
0: yeah I mean I guess, I guess if, if Russell wrote this in the 80s it pre- might have been about newspapers Yeah, and and now it's about cable news because that's the, the sort of 2005 thing mm. a rolling news anyway but you know it nicely done
2: okay. I still can't quite get my head around what the um Oh, the mighty jaggerfest of the Holy Hadrojastic Max of Rodenville is supposed to represent is it just an over I mean, I <laughs> I've seen one, <laughs> one thing it was Robert Maxwell mm. like a, a big bloated newspaper tycoon mm. living on the top floor but maybe that's taking, maybe that's just my own Yeah um, I think that or Rupert Murdoch I think I, 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 you, you uh,
0: could
2: see it mm. as that Yeah I guess I was thinking more of the physicality of, of Robert Maxwell but I think that would have been a bit beneath Russell to make a, a fat joke like that in the early eighties, hmm. uh, it's not entirely clear, is it? Because he's not um, Max. It's not clear what Max's plan is. Is he representing the other Jangraphesses? Are they? Do they have an end game? Hmm. And and don't try and convince me that this is always <laughs> that Daleks are always supposed to be behind hmm. this. So that's not true. No. no. What are they? What is the Jangraphess up to? What's he softening humanity up for? Just for a laugh? Well, it's it's a financial thing isn't it? Well yes it, it, Yes, there are two sides to it aren't there the banks are funding the Jagger face. Mm. yes I mean it's, it's not particularly deep satire on the media but the, yeah. the, the, the banking element comes he's, in. He's a fat capitalist that sits on the yes, top Yes I suppose really. so maybe that's it maybe it's just a, a representation of the facelessness of the capitalist classes. I think it would have been better if he hadn't been. If it had just been some sort of unique creature that had evolved yeah, yeah. out of humanity's own <laughs> stupidity. The more gullible and hypnotised they become, the bigger the fest grows. And maybe maybe you can read that version of it. It seems to be an end to itself
0: rather than means to an end. Mm. Is the impression I get. Mm. I mean, also Cathica is is perhaps the better companion than Rose because Rose just ends up getting captured and. You know, <laughs> if, it, if it isn't for Cathica then they don't well, get yeah. rescued. I was watching it this time thinking if the doctor's in, in the market for trying out new
2: Benz, he should take her with him. Yeah, yeah. But she b- clearly passes the test. She picks up on all his very subtle cues yeah. at the end. Indeed. of the great cast. This was the first time I ever clapped eyes on Anna Maxwell and Martin. Oh, yeah. dear. My life has never been the same since. <laughs> <laughs> Simon Pegg though Yeah. now he's a major Hollywood film star people look at this and think why did you waste Simon Pegg in a little part like this but A he wasn't that Simon Pegg back then was he no. but also it's a very good part for him and he yeah, really yeah. Yeah. he really nails it he takes gets every ounce of a bite out of that dialogue mm. and he looks great painted, uh, with his white hair and beard mm.
0: it's a good look
2: for him we should go back to that
0: and you know a nice bit of work with Tamsin Greg as well just, mm. just as you're sort of you know thinking there can't be any more really good cast members in this surely
2: now you two have done a lot of research now is my memory now her scenes stand out don't they they're completely separate from everything else mm. and I yeah. have this feeling that they were added in later in the, in the way in which a lot of supplementary filming was done on the mm. first season because episodes were under running. Hmm. Am I right about that, or am I getting confused? Uh, it looks like it could. Because I know there were various other stories that had whole characters introduced, just like famously in End of the World*. You know, characters that were just one scene mm. characters that are just there to fill up time. But
0: <clears> is she, or isn't she, one of those? Well, the way it's well, filmed, it's, it, it sounds half plausible, but I don't know. You know. the
1: way it's filmed, it looks like it. As you say, it looks like it could have been because she's only on. She's only there with Bruno Langley, but on the other hand, that is the, given what yes, we were saying about the driving point. force of the plot being Adam's story and the fact that she's the one that installs the, the brain yeah. flap, which is fairly integral that to everything That bit would have, to have,
2: would have to have been there, those scenes would have to have been mm. there, even if they weren't at quite that length. Maybe I'm just, maybe what I'm remembering is thinking this is going on a bit. I mean, it's all very good stuff. But they are very—they are longer than they need to be. Those
0: scenes, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, it's quite—it's quite,
1: fun. It's quite fun though. I like the way he keeps on making excuses and she keeps on
0: demolishing his excuses. Yeah, yes. I mean, he starts out being very anti the whole surgery aspect, and then mm. he's very anti it at the end as well. But somehow he gets talked into it in the middle. Hmm. Nobody ever seems to have been very interested in revisiting the
2: character of Adam, do they? Do you think it's? <laughs> What, do you see it as, you a, mean, as, a, as a big finished box set? Well, you know, well, you
1: finally, finally have that. Adam is Davos could
2: actually be, um, become, <laughs> uh, become a real I thing. I was wondering if anyone was going to bring it up. the wonders up. Of <laughs> 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 uh, That's, a, of the um, of fake rumours from 21st Century Doctor Who, that was one of the best, because mm. it actually made some sort of sense. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to point out I never fell for it, obviously. <laughs> but... I'd like a parallel universe version where he becomes Davros. I think that's an elsewhere, elsewhere story that is worth telling. Mm. No, but I think it's a shame that most people just think, at best, well, his story's been done, there's nothing to add to it, and at worst, why on earth would we want to go back to him again? Because I I just... Mm. I think there are lots of different angles you'd take with him. And he's not in Corrie anymore. I'm sure he'd be grateful. Have you noticed that I've got through this entire review without saying something along the lines of, for a middling filler story this is not This is much better than anything we've had in the last two seasons of Doctor Who well, well there it is and <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well we, we get that well the sound even you've got Russell knocking it out it's, it's different it's kind of traditional it's traditional to say mm. I never thought much about this at the time but I really appreciate it in, in hindsight
0: <laughs> but I think the difference is that with this one we appreciated it at the time and we appreciate it now I mean we, you know we did we did mm. Yeah.
3: Three.
0: <laughs> so, so how about those parallels then? I mean, clearly that there's there's something about getting to the top in each of the the, the settings. The,
2: yes, ish. Mm. <laughs> I yeah. think.
0: Did we get to the bottom
2: of whether or not that's um, slightly fudged in Paradise Towers? Because it's nice and clear here. There's no. Is the point of the story to get to the basement or the or the summit in his story? It's all about up, 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 up,
0: up. Well, I guess it, the, so the difference in this is everyone wants to get to the top floor, whereas in Paradise Towers, it's really only Mel who's desperate to mm. do that. Yeah. yeah, And, of course,
2: because that is metaphorical. Mm. Mm. It's metaphorical and also literally in the sense that anybody who's worked in a, a big company will know that getting mm. to the top... You don't expect a
0: swimming pool. You expect the CEO's executive mm. suite, don't you? But the sad truth about any of the any corporation is you just end up working for somebody else, even if you are the CEO. You, you know, it, as with um, Simon Pegg, there's always someone bigger and uglier telling you what to do. I mean, si- Simon Pegg, I guess, maybe shows Richard Bryer's the way forward in terms of you know a rather more subtle performance in in the role of chief chief caretaker. Or you could argue in
2: terms of p- uh, people whose characters die and and then carry on in some sort of zombie form, that Anna Maxwell Martin shows Richard Prize the way forward. <laughs> she doesn't say a bloody word after she's dead, but she's yeah, still... Yeah. But I I believe it. I've always enjoyed her last little contribution yeah. to
0: making sure that Simon Pegg gets his justice. Mm, hers. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. Yeah, I've written zombies down as another parallel. Yeah. Well done. I, th- I think also, I mean, you know, clearly you've got potentially... Old Jagrafess is the is the croagnon of this story. They're, oh. they're both they're both the pets or the or the masters, which way where you look at it mm. of the yep. the guy who's apparently in charge. A- Adam, you could say is well, I don't know. Is he is he, is he an equivalent for Pets Not really. They got their they 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 have a different trajectory. I suppose they're both somewhat tragic figures in the end.
3: Hmm.
0: I like the gratuitous use of skeletons in the
2: long game. Hmm. Are they, is it even explained what well, that circle of of dead people is there for? Apart from to give us the cheap thrill, it's mm-hmm. very good. I like a nice
0: skull bursting into view, unexpectedly. It's the Scooby Doo fan in me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting, isn't it that that you've got uh, you've got the news gatherers on floor one three nine, and then you've got a similar set up on floor five hundred. Although it, you know it hasn't gone so well up there. No. And what are the zombies doing? They they they're just there to, they're the sort of final edit, are they, of 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 everything else is happening elsewhere. Are we up in the gallery here?
2: I suppose satirically, the the biggest point this story makes is that the entirety of this vast ninety six billion strong human empire hmm. has become not just ossified, but it's um it's <laughs> dumbed down. The doctor is expecting to see the pinnacle of human culture and civilization, mm. and it's just people eating Kronk burgers. Mm. So I guess. It's saying that if we take our eyes off the ball and start believing everything we're fed
0: by mm. the media, in mm. inverted commas, then we'll regress in the same mm. way. Yep. Although, isn't that, isn't that cut across RTD, though? I mean, isn't he the sort of guy who, who would f- be quite happy to feed people Kronkbergus? He's well, you know, e- not really exactly. elitist, is he? I mean,
2: to the extent that it's a message, it's a very old fashioned Marxist point of view, a Frankfurt School, and all, all those sorts of fellas. And I don't think it's really what Russell believes. He loves... Mm. He, I mean, he's full of contradictions, and he'll be the first to admit that. He loves the modern world. He loves the, the media, mm. high and low culture. And um, I think the point is more putting all your eggs in one basket, allowing one mm. media conglomerate, mm. directed by one vision, one mind, one perspective, to dominate. Mm. It's not a problem. It's not a criticism of the story that it doesn't... There's a message... Isn't entirely clear because it's a 45 minute episode of Doctor Who, so you don't really expect to find the meaning of life in it. Mm-hmm.
1: We don't get that much, we don't get to see that much of the product though, do we? No,
2: no, I mean, the few news reports we see early on are actually their scene setting mm. to show us that this world isn't the utopia that the Doctor mm. thinks it's going to be. Yeah, <laughs> especially <laughs> including the ref, the uh, voiceover reference to bad wolf, mm, yes like most of them inserted mm, uh, mm. later in the day
1: I think the because the 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 uh, the one that struck me most really in terms of actually impl- insinuating what's what's been going on was Kathca's thing about you know when they when they say well where are the where were the aliens mm. yeah, you know, why are they just humans here and she shots out a list of reasons reasons slash excuses why mm. why earth is. Appearing somewhat more homogenous than it should. Yeah, that would have yes. been a
0: Brexit joke now, wouldn't it? Yes,
1: there? yeah, exactly. Sorry, I have to bring it up. <laughs> 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 well, it struck me, but obviously, yeah.
0: Another parallel that, that that occurs to me is that the Doctor becomes the mentor for the Kangs in the Court of Paradise Towers, and he's also, as we've already discussed, acting as something of a mentor in this Dekathika. Mm. Um, yeah. And through her, just that one person, he's affecting.
2: Hopefully, we assume change for the whole of this society in mm-hmm. you know, a trickle-down effect. So he has done a sort of McCoy thing. He's popped in and in you know in the space for an afternoon. Mm-hmm. He's fixed a civilization that just needed to push back in the right direction.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, and then and then not stuck around to clear up the mess.
2: Um. <laughs> if you take the Daleks out of it, which obviously you don't have to because they're not in it, mm-hmm. it's like the best of the late classic series in that it's, it's not filler it's the Doctor doing what he's best at popping into any random situation and tweaking it. it doesn't always need to be saving the universe
0: no well often better when it isn't because you know how many times can you actually want to save the whole universe in the course of a season and it's kind of hard to understand what that means anyway <laughs> You know, if you think about yeah. about about Legopolis, it's all just a little bit hard to, to to fathom. Well, once in a while. Yeah.
2: It's the year two hundred thousand. Yeah. He's wisely gone way beyond our Doctor Who programme guide mm. volume to so whichever book it was <laughs> <laughs> to first put everything in order, constructed a timeline, and he's thought, well rather than trying to squeeze something into these tiny little gaps, I'll just yeah.
0: leapfrog way over them, which is a very good point. Mm. Cause Still got... Things, s- it's still got a long way for the face of Bo to go, though, hasn't it? From 200,000 to 5 billion. Yeah, mm. yeah. But yes, no, I agree. It, it, it's so far in the future. Are these the
2: only two st- stories that involve a large, high-rise building?
0: Well, there's the one that there's, there's, uh, the bells of St. Johnny goes driving up. The, oh, yeah. Uh, on the outside of one, I don't know. Yeah. It's so I suppose, I mean, it,
2: stories that are set entirely within mm. Yeah, indeed. a large... This one's cheating because it's in space, so you can't really think about what's outside it.
3: Hmm.
2: Mm. I'm still sort of tantalised by what's th- by the world in which Paradise Towers is set. I, I reckon there's a story in there. Stephen White's recently written a prequel to um Great Show in the Galaxy, the psychic circus for Big Finish, so I think his next project yeah, right. uh, okay. should be exploring. Hmm. What happened... Of course, the problem with that is it'll be all about the men who went off to war. Hmm. I forgot to mention that it was... Well, Andrew Cartmore's claims that having the Kangs
0: as girl gang was his idea. I thought you were going to say that um, Stephen Wyatt's prequel is going to be called The Second Greatest Show in the Galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> but that would be anticlimactic, wouldn't it? A bit like this podcast. We're, <laughs>
2: we're winding down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, hope you, I hope you saved a really good point to, uh, to finish on so that we can go on a high. So that we can build this podcast high for happiness.
0: I think you've done it. Oh, was that it? <laughs> <laughs> Effortless. <laughs> Have I got anything else to say about this? Well, I mean, I've got one more thing to say about this, but I'm not, I don't think it's building to a high. But I just like the way that, at the start of this, rather like Crocodile Dundee, the Doctor gives Rose a whole load of information, which she then uses in front of Adam as if she's somehow, you know... Uh, assess the situation and know and, and, and exactly what's going on. Because you know, old Croc, he, sort of look, he, he looks at his watch and then he looks up at the sun oh, and says, yeah. oh yeah, it must be about half past two or whatever. So <laughs> uh, this is a similar kind of thing. Yeah. I think we've reached that point in the podcast where we're going
2: to start mentioning all things we forgot to mention earlier and really disrupting the flow. I can't believe when I was talking about the ways in which Paradise Towers is scuppered by its production values, I didn't mention the music which really is Shocking, isn't it? So, I, when I was watching it this time, I, I watched the first episode with Kef McCulloch's mm. score, and then I switched to the alternative one, which is, while not a masterpiece, is pleasingly, well, by comparison, it's less distracting. Mm.
0: Have you heard it? Have I haven't actually, listened, listened to it? I, no. mm.
2: I assume Richard can't have done, as he hasn't watched the story in 30 years.
0: No, I, I, I watched it on Britbox. Yeah. No, so, I didn't, didn't get any alternate tracks.
2: The original score is very early 80s uh, it can't be this David Snell whatever his name is must have must have been familiar with early 80s who is a bit um, a bit Paddy Kingsland with, with right. undertones of Roger Lim mm-hmm. not as good as either of them I can see why they might have rejected it because it's not great but um, it's better than <laughs> it's better than what Kev McCulloch came up with there's
1: a couple of nice themes in, in the Kev McCulloch score uh, you thing. think I, th- I think there's a couple of nice little moments, that a bit of bit of some,
2: running down corridors, music at a couple there, of points. There are nice themes in his in his work, but for me, it's unlike anybody else who's ever composed for Doctor Who, with the possible exception of Carey Blyton. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work, feel like Doctor Who music to me. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. just feels like Stock Aitken and Waterman. Mm-hmm. I find it very very distracting. Mm-hmm. I think the, I think um, the
1: issue is that some of the things that's I thought, okay, there's a there's a possibly nice thing there. It's just it's, it's used once and then and then discarded and doesn't doesn't return again. So there's no real sense of it of it being a like any kind of coherent score. Most of it is just um, random bits of music put together to to um, to fill dead air.
2: Yeah, had a week to write it. So if that was the only reason why it, that it was rubbish, then I'll give them the benefit of the doubt but I don't like the work he produced. I was going to say, work, unfortunately, so I, I think
1: the um, the fact that's, yeah, judging by his school's another thing. It's of its time, isn't it, really? Hmm. It just I'm feels
0: to me like classic, you know, McCoy hmm. incidental music, So I didn't really notice it that much. Oh, crimes. Okay. Well, you've gone native. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's just what I expected hmm. to hear.
1: I don't mind the stuff that's going on when the when the caretakers are, are going around and being nobbled and so on. It's just you know like the, the undertone thing that's going on with a bit of hmm. faux guitar or whatever going on in the background.
2: I've been haunted by the extraordinary tune he uses under shots of um, the cleaning machines charging down down <laughs> corridors. It's been going in my head all week, which is not a good thing. I, it's catchy and and it's drum mm. machine a go-go style but but no, it's not very <laughs> it's not dramatic in the right way or conducive mm. to creating an atmosphere, c- conducive yeah. to creating a headache. Well I'm so sorry to have I sound like a right old misery and I shouldn't have ended. Can you edit this bit in <laughs> earlier on I, yeah, so We can well, end we'll, on a high? <laughs> sure,
0: well, well we'll bring this I think this Farago <laughs> to <laughs> a <laughs> to a close and we'll see what will happen in the edit Mm. I think but um, in the meantime it's been very nice talking to you about these two these two stories that we've you know quite enjoyed in fact we very much enjoyed one of them and and, and quite enjoyed the other I think Mm. yep what a pleasant surprise
3: Mm.
2: are we making a habit of this dipping back into stories that we lesser (laughs) lesser celebrated stories and finding New reasons to enjoy them. Did we do mm. that last time? We did, rather, Yes, we, did. Yes. we yeah. did. Yeah. Yes. Let's stick to let's stick to that then.
3: <laughs>
2: let's forget all these big important <laughs> stories.
0: Make this the underdog championing podcast. The only downside to that was your suggestion that we perhaps look at um, Talons and Unicorn as a pair, Because oh. it was the the, um, the Chris I'll Benjamin book. <laughs> Benj- <laughs> uh, Benjamin one.
2: You haven't you, you haven't finished rec- hmm. we haven't finished this one yet. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I interrupted you. Go and do your bit. <laughs> do your
0: bit. You were nearly there. Uh, okay, so thanks thanks both of you for, for joining me on this and for the uh, fun chat we've had. And uh, we we'll look forward to doing it again sometime soon. Yeah, it's great. Absolutely. Enjoy that.
2: Bye, everybody. Yeah, thanks. Sorry if I was overcritical. <laughs> I, I don't mean <laughs> it. I love everything. And everyone <laughs> except you.
0: Bye, everyone. Overcritical? Nah. Uh,
2: The podcast rating system is working flat out, channeling massive amounts of bot traffic. Oh, that's you.
0: (laughs) 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 The podcast rating system—it's working flat out, channeling massive amounts of bot traffic. All the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, what I, that's how I did
2: it. <coughs> which that. fictional northern county was I channeling there? I've no idea, and well, you won't know, will you? Which, hmm. I, I th- I which thought would you be most upset s- to hear that I was aiming for?
0: <laughs> uh, it sounded like um, somewhere between. Manchester and Liverpool. I would say you're probably Cheshire.
2: Yeah? I thought there was too much Yorkshire in there. I kept slipping back into E by Gum. terrible, isn't it? Anyway, never mind all that. I could have brought my wife on. She's a big fan of High Rise. Oh, art, okay. Only because it has Tom Hiddleston in it. Oh, nice.
1: Right.
2: She says she's read the book as well. Okay, Sorry. come on. Then. I come on and tell get us. A, <laughs> get her <laughs> to <critique>. tea. <laughs> I'll, I'll go and interview her and we can edit that bit <laughs> in later mean graham harper sorry I, yes i do mean graham harper say again sorry do it again
1: Surely, okay i mean, perhaps you had someone like you know sometimes you had someone like graham williams who could <laughs> 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 oh, well, don't say it don't say it don't say it uh, and sometimes you had someone like graham harper who could be <laughs> i think we've found our outtake for the end haven't we <laughs> <laughs>